Well, good morning. So glad you're here. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking as um, we saw this dance, I just first want to say thank you to Christy. I don't know where she is out there in, in Creo for their being here later um, at 1030. I'd love for you to be a part of that as we start off the Christmas. Doesn't it feel like we just had Thanksgiving? Anybody feel that way? And and I, I my thought was, I actually called Grace. I said, you know, when you come in this morning, take off a little bit earlier and just go slowly and enjoy the snow globe effect. It's beautiful as you look at the snow. But I, I think God must have been thinking, i got to change the set pretty quickly this year. And we had all this snow that uh, that we had come before us. I'm excited as we begin this series uh, just through this Christmas time called Christmas Promises, where we'll be looking at some of the Old Testament references, and, and, and sometimes you read some of the predictive promises, um, but you don't hear some of them that are a little more obscure, in some ways foundational to the ones that you hear later in Isaiah and other um, Old Testament authors like Micah, etc. And so what we're going to do is take a look at a few of these as we go through this this year. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. And do we have the scripture um, on there for people? If not, I will go ahead and read it. I want you to hear the word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 49, verses um, 8 through about verse 10. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey. My son, like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he who comes, until he to whom it comes, belongs to shall come. And the obedience of the nation shall be his. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, as we um, seek to understand this prophetic word, that you would give us um, understanding, that you would give us in this time a heart that's receptive to what you want to say to us personally in our lives and relationships with you and with others. And so, God, we thank you for your word, for your presence here, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, so there are terms that you have for a group of animals, such as if you have a group of geese going, they're called a... Oh, you guys are good. Okay. And and do you know what you call a bunch of chicks? Come on, you were so smart on the last one. A clutch. How about hounds? A cry of hounds. Anybody know what a whale is? A gam of whales, leopards, a leap of leopards. There's, there's these names that we have. Kangaroos, they, they don't have the best of terms. A mob of kangaroos. You see they're punching you or something. But you have these different groups, and one of them you have is a pride of lions, right? And as we come to this passage of scripture, you'll find that when he talks about Jacob gives this blessing, he talks about the lion and that Judah is kind of the lion of Judah. He's the pride of Judah because from Judah will come a number of distinguished and renowned leaders. And as we look at this prophecy, 
you'll find that he, he Jacob, who is at the very end of his life, one of the patriarchs, as he has all his sons stand before him at the very end of Genesis, which ends with chapter 50, but in 49, just before he passes away, he has all his sons come before him and he gives them one blessing and some not really blessings after another. And the fourth one comes to Judah. And in, in, in you get in your mind, you can see, because as you read through this, you'll find out that as you're reading each of these different blessings that come to the different patriarchs' sons, these, these twelve, these of Jacob's sons, you'll, you'll see that there is the firstborn, Reuben, who, who's probably expecting some kind of blessing of abundance. He steps forward. And he says, his dad says, you're the firstborn. You are going to, you are the called to excel or given the privilege to excel. And then he looks at him and goes, and you will not excel. He sits down. Simeon and Levi, they come up together. So Simeon and Levi, they come up together. They're brothers who are partners in crime, birds of a feather. They were violent and cruel, he says. And he gives a list of all the things they do. And he ends it and he says, you will be divided and scattered in the generations that follow. And as you go through Old Testament history, you'll see that Simeon doesn't get a a piece of the land of the 12 tribes, each of them. He doesn't get one. And eventually, throughout history, you'll find that there are hardly any of Simeon's people left. At one point, um, one of the uh, leaders said, you know, protected the people of Simeon because they were almost becoming extinct. But Levi, on the other side, wasn't given land either. But somehow, because of what God had done, he became one who was the priest. And that's where you have the line of Moses and Aaron and others. So it's possible that you could come from people and from a line that wasn't followers of God. In fact, they could have been somewhat despicable. But yet, God says, I have great things planned for you. I can do great things through you if your heart is open to me. And then you come to Judah. And with Judah, you get this guy who I imagine as he begins to stop, step forward, I'm wondering if he's a little bit afraid. Because after he heard what happened to Reuben and happened to Simeon and then to Levi, you have to understand around the time when they were going to have Joseph killed, they took their brother Joseph and they were going to kill him. I believe that was probably the plan of Rubian, Simeon, and Levi because we're told that Judah steps forward with an alternative plan. It's a better plan. He makes a good decision. He says, instead of killing our brother, let's just sell him to these slaves. And he goes into Egypt, Joseph does, and becomes eventually the right-hand man to Pharaoh. And prophecies that were said of him become true. But here's... Here's Judah stepping forward, knowing what he's done. And yet, Jacob says to him, Judah, you are going to be like a lion. And those who come from you will be like a pride of lions. Distinguished and great. You will have a scepter. And the key word in that scripture we read was that you will have a scepter. You will have this kind of... Um, this. This, this scepter of power that will bring praise and will reveal that you are preeminent over your brothers and it will never leave your hand. And 
I'm sure Judah's kind of going, whoa, I didn't expect that. Didn't see that coming. And as we go into next week, we look at numbers. Again, you'll see the theme of a scepter. And this idea of scepter is really important. When we look at today, when we look at this passage of scripture, looking at Genesis 49, you're going to find the scepter is kind of the main thing that you'll see that goes from generation to generation as it points to Jesus. But you'll see a few other things that are revealed also to Judah. It reminds me of when I was um, in my last year of college and I was a youth pastor in a place called Freeport, Illinois, and I took a group of kids from Park Hills Free Church I don't know, parents somehow believed I was responsible enough to take a bunch of high schoolers. And I took them out to Colorado and we went to this conference. And at one point I thought, let's just, let's, let's kind of make a hike out to the mountains. I'm not a mountain guy. Lived in the Midwest, in Chicago area all my life. I had no idea that when you look at a series of mountains, they're a lot farther than they appear. I had no idea of the height we were at in, in the sense that you could get dehydrated very quickly. Some of you are laughing at me, rightly so. Well, one thing I didn't realize as well is that often there will be a peak and it will look sometimes and blend into other mountains in front and it will look like it's all one mountain. But it's really this range of mountains, and here's this peak, and, and so we walked towards it, and eventually hiked home because we were so tired. But what was interesting was that there were these kind of things that kind of pointed to this bigger peak. And so, as we look at this passage of scripture, you'll find out that when he gives these promises to to Judah, there are a few kind of things like ranges of the mountain that get there before you see the peak. And one of the very first things he says is praise. If you look at Genesis 49, verse 8, he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. So there's this sense that as you look at it, this first promise is for Judah, but it also follows along till it comes to the promised one, Jesus. And, And so the word Judah is is really a pun. It's it's a double pun. It would be a word like that we use from time to time like the word board, right? Board can be a piece of wood. Board can also be a a governing group of people in an organization. Board could if you listen to it without looking at the way it's written because they were an oral culture. Board could also mean what? Hopefully something you're not feeling right now. Right? And so this word Judah in the Hebrew is kind of a pun upon a pun. And the very first one is is this idea, Judah sounds close to the Hebrew word praise. And so when his mother, Judah's mother Leah, was giving birth, upon birth, she exclaimed, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah in Genesis chapter 29, verse 35. She was expressing gratitude to God for the gift of this fourth son. I don't know what the other three were like, whether hard births or whatever, but at this one, she just said, praise. And, and they said, that's his name, Judah. My wife's mother was four years old when she gave birth to my wife, Grace. And her aunt exclaimed, it takes grace to give birth. Hence, my wife's name, Grace. It's that kind of thing. 
And so here is Judah. He comes from this line, and he's one who will be praised not only by his other 11 brothers and the 12 tribes of Israel, but will be one who will be praised by all people. So as we look at this, and we look at eventually this one who is going to hold the scepter, this this great promise, this peak of one who will come to rule forever, one of the first things he says is that people will praise him. And we read again and again in the words of others during the life of Jesus, it says the disciples were amazed. Mark eleven eighteen. the whole crowd was astounded. And they were praising him for his, his good teaching, his words. Mark, Luke 4, 22 says, all spoke well of Jesus and were amazed. So the people praised Jesus. If you look in his life for his teaching, for his wisdom, how cleverly he answered people who tried to trap him. They praised him for the miracles he did, for the healings that he had performed, for the signs and wonders that he had displayed. And the people tried to even make him king after he fed 5,000. At one point as he's coming into Jerusalem, they're throwing palm branches in praise in this one who comes in the name of David. And so the very first thing, which is interesting, he says, Judah, like your name... There will be one who comes from you who will receive praise. And then he goes on and he talks about the power of this one. Again, it's a, a, a pun. The word Judah is very close in Hebrew to the word hand. And so in Genesis 49, 8, the very next thing, he continues with the pun. Your hand, Judah, will be on the neck of your enemies. And the hand represented power. In Exodus, we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, it will say a number of times the mighty hand of God. You know, you're going to do this, Pharaoh, but it's going to take the mighty hand of God. If you look at, at Chronicles at one point, as Solomon is, is preparing the temple for the ark to come in and then for the presence of God to come and dwell, as, as you go through these prayers in, in Second Chronicles 5 through 7, you'll find that he's going through this. He keeps saying, and... From your mouth come promises, God, and by your hand you fulfill it. Because hand meant power. So not only was Judah this one who came and and this one who would come from have praise, but he would also be this one with incredible power. Now we all kind of know, I think, the uh, you've probably experienced the hand of power in your own life, Right? How many, um, as kids, if you were driving in the car, and anybody have, like, brothers or sisters, and you sit in the back seat? Okay, anybody know what that's like? How many have had kids who are sitting in the back seat? You've all experienced what I call the hand of power, when the hand is driving and reaches back like this, right? You all know this hand is gonna, is a lot more powerful than you. And so you get this idea, he's saying, here's this mighty God who is going to come and not only display his power through the line of Judah, but in one who is to come who will receive praise, but will also be filled with incredible power. And you note the power in Jesus' life. He had his neck, his hand on the neck of the enemy throughout his whole life. Read about his life. 
At one point, Peter, as he's standing before um, others who are Gentiles, he says to him, you've all heard about this. You've, you live in the land of Palestine, so you've heard about this Jesus. And he says in Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and destroying the works of Satan or healing those under the grip or power of the devil. And here's Jesus, you look at his life, he healed lepers and the blind and the deaf and he incurable diseases as a lady who had been bleeding and having this illness for years touches his hem of his garment and, and, and power comes from him and she's healed. But he's not, she's not fully healed because God always wants full healing. He doesn't want just physical healing. He really desires also deep spiritual emotional healing. So he stops her and everyone's kind of pressing around Jesus and says, who touched me? And Peter goes, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And he goes, no, I felt power. Someone touched me with faith. And power came out of me into their life and experience. And she just wanted to walk away, quietly receive this physical healing because she felt something happen in her body. That's what happens often when people are, are, are supernaturally healed. They, they can feel a warmth and they feel this, and they feel this in her body. And she was probably walking away and all of a sudden he stops her because he doesn't just want physical healings. He wants your heart healed. He wants you to be right in relationship with God. He doesn't want you to carry shame. He doesn't want you to walk in guilt. So he stops and he says, who touched me? And she kind of, I think, sheepishly raises her hand because she needed to know the love of God through the eyes and the heart of Jesus as well as she needed to be restored in the eyes of everyone else. You may need the release of the power of this one who holds the scepter. And you can be in this room, but there is something truly dramatically different when you reach out and say, God, in my situation, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you my life. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to ask that you begin to lead me and direct me I'm going to acknowledge the fact that I've made mistakes and I have sins and I need to be covered by the blood that you shed as we talked about communion today on the cross like the lamb who took my sins away. And you may need that. You may right now be saying, God, I need to be forgiven. God, I need not only to know what it means to walk without guilt, but I need to know what it means to walk without shame. I need your love. And, and all you need is to do so in faith. It's just a touch of faith. If you note the power of Jesus in his death, on the cross he took our sin, he took the punishment of our wrong, and he became a curse for us so that we would receive blessing. You note the power of Jesus in his resurrection, in the grave, with no breath of life in his lungs, with his blood actually spilt out of his body, the grip of death firmly holding him, it could not hold him down. And you see the incredible power of God also in the ascension as he leaves this earth visibly and bodily and as he's leaving, he has told his disciples, as you see me go, you will see me return in the same way. 
He's saying to those who will be alive when he comes again, there's this promise that this God, this Jesus, just didn't have power for your life now. His power is forever. It is a scepter that he holds forever. And in that rule, he rules not just today, but he rules in the lives of those who submit their hearts and lives to him and, and desire to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Because he promises to come back and make all things right and renew this earth. And it's in his power that we see one of these ranges that point to this last thing that we see, and that's the preeminence of Jesus overall. Judah was by no means perfect, but in his life he exhibited qualities that allowed him to live up to his name. We may not think a lot about his alternative plan, but it was one that was done to stop something of evil, even though it was another kind of evil. He had daring initiatives, and and through his life, his brothers admired him. He was the firstborn, but he was given, in a sense, the privilege of the firstborn. In the firstborn, there's a double blessing, so you need to understand this. Joseph received the blessing of the firstborn when he got the coat, which is a double blessing. And so when you see these blessings being given by Jacob, he gives out 12. He doesn't give the land to Simeon, and he doesn't give the land to Levi, But to the sons of Joseph, those two, they now take the place in the tribe. They get a double blessing. That was part of the inheritance that was given. You would get twice as much. You would also get the ability to govern over all the family. and You'd manage the business, so to speak. But what's interesting is what is being said in this prophecy is that Joseph would be the one who ruled over his brothers, but Judah would be the one who would rule over all the tribes to come. You would have from you, Judah, like a lion, you know, king of kings, lord of lords, and, you know, you think of the the, the lion king, the one who's the, the king of the beasts, in the sense of king over all those who are to come is Judah. And Judah, it says in Genesis 49.8, and your father's sons will bow down to you. And from the tribe of Judah, the greatest kings would descend. David and Solomon and Asa and Jehoshaphat and Amaziah and Uzziah and Hezekiah and Josiah and all the other ayahs. Until one day, the one whom... This was pointing to the preeminent one, the greatest king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all gods. Jesus would come. And that's what we would celebrate at Christmas, is this one who would come. This one who would hold the scepter forever. He would be the preeminent, powerful king to which all praise would be given. So Paul writes... That the humility and obedience of Jesus places him above every created being. Jesus will be preeminent. And he says in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. Because of the obedience of Jesus, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ. And call out in praise that he is Lord of all. Jesus is the lion who receives praise. 
And he's called, as we read earlier in Revelation chapter 5, he's called the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is also called the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. What we're all looking for in this world, even today, we're looking for political leaders who have the ability to lead, right? Who have the power to be able to lead well, but take the power and don't use it for themselves. Everyone who, I don't care, Republican, Democrat, any any persuasion you want, our hearts are longing for someone who will come and say, with the power they've been given and the place of preeminence they're given, with the praise that comes to them, would they use their power for good and for others? And that's what Jesus did. They would say to him on the cross, why don't you just kill and, you know, have angels come, an army of angels, and zap them all, and he doesn't. What he does, he takes all the power through his love, and he dies in order that we might know his forgiveness and his grace and his goodness. Now, here's the thing I want to close with, because I think this is kind of an interesting thought that I want you to think about when we think about these promises to come. Get this picture, okay? Here, I'm going to give you a little bit of my... I'm a pastor. For a period of time, I was an executive director of a radio station called WMCU and of a university in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. My wife's name is Grace, and I have two daughters, Kelsey and Kenzie. They're both married. My parents have both passed away, but what, what if, as I was sorting through their stuff a few years ago after they had passed away and sorting through it, we came across a letter with my sister and my brother. We come across a letter, and it's a letter and it's a note written from my mother when she was 12 years of age. Just what if? And we take this note and we open it up, and it says, Kevin, here's, your bless- here's what I want to share about your life. Someday. Kevin, you will be a pa- you'll you will um, my son. You will you will be a pastor. You'll be named Kevin, and, and she's twelve. I will have you as a son. I will name you Kevin. You will be a pastor. You'll run a radio station called WMCU. You direct a university in Florida. You will marry a woman named Grace, and you'll have two girls. Do you think we would be amazed? Honestly, I'm going. Wow, that's really cool. That's like some. 20 years or so before, you know, before I was ever born, I would be telling you. One commentator says this, when we look at these prophecies, this prophecy was given 2,000 years before Jesus came. Okay? The messianic portrait was painted so clearly and so explicitly through these different prophecies, not just 24 years before Jesus was born, but some 2,000 years before he was born. And not only was it painted by one person, but by 10 to 12 different people all along the way through the Old Testament. As one commentator writes, it's a striking wonder which isolates Christ from all others, is that he is the one man in the history of the world of whom explicit details of his birth Life, death, and resurrection were given centuries beforehand. And the challenge of this pure miracle is that it has happened to one man only in the entire history of the world. He is the only person whose life and ministry were pre-written in the most remarkable manner before he came into the world. And another person, Dyson Haig, writes, Who could draw a picture of a man not yet born? Surely God and God alone. 
Nobody knew over 500 years ago that Shakespeare was going to be born or some 300 years ago that Napoleon was to be born. Yet here in the Bible, we have the most striking and unmistakable likeness of a man portrayed not by one, but by 20 or 25 artists, none of whom had ever seen the man they were painting. It's the fulfillment which is both specific and detailed in their promises that provides, in a sense, the divine seal that God was in this. I'm going to ask David and and the team to come up to lead us in this last song, but what I want you to think about as we close is this. If God, if God has the ability some 2,000 years beforehand to so explicitly paint a picture of the one to come, if with his mouth he can give promises and then with his hand he can fulfill it, Don't you think God can take care of your situation right now? One of the greatest Christmas gifts you can give yourself and to other people is to go, you know what? Jesus really does love me. And with all that's going on, I can choose peace. I can choose joy. I can choose to do what is right in the face of things that seem wrong. God can predict years before the coming of his son and make it happen. God can take care of you. And we're just going to take a few moments and I ask you just to kind of bring your heart and your situation before the Lord. Really, church should be a place where we can be really honest and real with what God is doing in our lives, whether we feel close to God or away or apart from God, wherever you're at, God knows, He loves you, He cares. And as you look at this Christmas, you know, we start here, it's the first, and it's going to be busy. And for some, it might be just a moment for you to pray and say, God, thank you that Jesus has the scepter and he rules. And all this is really, all those significant and important things that I'll be doing in comparison to Eternity and all that's going to happen. This really is something that you can control and you can take care of. But the way that God's going to most take care of it is when He has the ability to work in and through you. And He's looking for teammates, people here who will say, I want to partner with you in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the rush, in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of things going on in my life in the midst of a possible illness that you might be facing in this time, in the midst of of sorrow, because this is a Christmas like no other. You've lost someone who you have felt already the pain of it at Thanksgiving. I don't know where you're at in regard to what you're thinking. And maybe you're thinking about the things in the future and and things that you would like to possibly see happen, but you know that you can't maybe control, control. The one thing you can control right now is is bringing yourself before God 
and just opening your heart and saying, you know, God, I, I want to partner with you. I'm going to commit to partner with you. The one who has the power, who deserves my praise, who is preeminent above all and who holds the scepter, which means you rule. That with, with the very extension of that, you can create things that will happen. We live with you, God, knowing that you are with us. And so, God, as we go into the situations in the days to come, we ask that you would lead us and guide us. Help us to be people ruled by peace, not by the horns of someone who's honking behind us. Help us to be people who are ruled with joy. Knowing that our strength lies in you, not in the very circumstances we may find ourselves in. Help us to know that our righteousness is all in your righteousness. And because of that, you look at us with love. You look at us without any sense of guilt, without any sense of shame. You may just need for God through Jesus to give you a hug right now and to love you, to hold you. He has your life. He has you. That person you're praying for, you may see nothing occurring around them but know that God is still at work. His promises, which come from his mouth, are fulfilled by his mighty hand in his timing. So this Christmas, God, we receive the gift of this incredible promise that you have entered into this world and taken the scepter, and you are the one who rules today and forever. And together we say, Amen. If you would like prayer, we will have people who would love to pray for you. Please stick around for this creo dance and just prepare your hearts for Christmas. Thanks. Thank you, Ed.